You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name is Trent Fleskins, your host as always. And as we're getting up to June 30, we are talking tax time with my tax man, the only man I trust with my accounting side of my life. It's Carlo Bordy of Bordy & Associates, the accountant for so many of our listeners these days. Carlo, thanks so much again for coming coming in and sharing your time with us. Yeah, thank you for inviting me this morning. Kelly, this is a busy time of year for you. I guess the May time is busy as well, getting a lot of your lodgements through, but you have a lot of people preparing for June 30 or July 1, really asking for it all to be done very quickly, just like I do, making your life really hard. Property specifically is what we talk about on this podcast, and we thought we'd get you in today to chat about some of the things the HO is clamping down on or looking at, at the very least, with regards to property. So let's go through the list. Let's have a look at those things. Some of them are super nerdy, some of them are uh, super niche, but also a lot of the things we'll cover across a lot of our listeners today. Where do you want to start, mate? Well, we've just attended some seminars and they've addressed the audit target areas on rental properties. So maybe that's a good place to start. So if people can get this area right, they're going to have a, a bit of a comfort zone if they get reviewed that uh, they're not doing it wrong. One of the areas which... It's only now been um, the second year in, in happening is that they're looking at a new definition as to when you can claim a deduction when a property is not available for rent. So if you've built a house, irrespective of when you've built it, if you ever built that house that you're now renting, and if that property, for whatever reason, is off the market and it's not available for rent. So maybe if you're doing renovations? Renovations or possibly thinking about selling it and getting it on the market so it's not there available for someone to tenant it or, or become tenanted. The vacancy period, the costs associated with holding that property, which relate to council rates, water rates, land tax. and Interest mainly, payments. And that's the biggest one. The interest is your biggest cost. Those costs are not deductible against the rental income on that property for that period. What it does is it really dissuades people from moving their tenants out of the house to prepare it for sale, stage it, get it nice and have it available for the most broad market possible. It really gets landlords or owners thinking, oh, is it worth it? Maybe I should sell it with a tenant in there, which from my perspective is not the right way to be selling your property. I've recently sold a property with a tenant in there and it makes it a lot more difficult. I mean, the tenant's got to be compliant, the property's got to be clean, the agent then can't come back when he wants. To get your best sale value, it's not the best environment. But we're stuck with this legislation and the consequence is that these costs, even though they're not deductible, they do get allocated to the cost of the property when you sell it and it does have a capital gains benefit, if you want to use that word. But the capital gains benefit, if you've had the property for more than 12 months, is you only pay tax on half the profit. So technically, you only get half of this cost as a deduction compared to if you got it as a deduction as a rental cost. It's very so, smart from the HO, isn't it? So yeah, yeah, they definitely tweaked on that one. The next biggest thing, which is mainly a big cost item on most people's rental properties, is interest. Now, the ATO are really clamping down on the correctness of the interest that's been claimed as a deduction. And you might think, well, interest is interest. But what happens is, in, in a lot of instances, a person, for example, might have a home that they live in and they, they, they pay their loan down and then they decide to go for a trip or to buy their kids a car or buy themselves a car. They redraw on their home loan facility. And then for whatever reason, that property becomes a rental property. Then the actual loan attributed to that house is not correct because part of that loan now attributes to private expenses. So you've got to then take out that portion as a percentage and allocate it correctly to the deductible component of the house. So does that mean that a read raw facility can start to become a little bit vulnerable in terms of its intent 
having a redraw facility against a property that becomes an investment property, you'd really actually rather have that sitting in an offset or just not re- reflecting the loan altogether. Oh, look, a- absolutely. And the worst of these are these equity line of loans where people virtually use them as an open checkbook. Like a line of credit. Yeah, and, and their wages go in there and they take all the personal expenses out of there and also their rental property loan is in there. They cause an absolute headache and, and, and you've got to portion it. And I've actually seen scenarios where we've calculated that over a number of years, six, seven years, the loan might be there in its majority. Like you might have 90% of the loan still there, but none of it's deductible because every time you've put your wages in there, you've actually drawn the loan down. And then when you go and spend something privately, it raises the loan up, but that component becomes private. So it dwindles down the deductible percentage of that loan every time you contribute to that and then draw back down. And I guess the frustrating part of it is it never really had to be affected if you were using that money that was being held, I guess, against a different loan or was, wasn't sitting against a loan at that point in time, it was just sitting as savings, you took it from somewhere else then the effective loan would have been deductible if you just didn't play with that money along the way. Absolutely. The, the crucial thing here is you always try and leave these investment loans completely alone. You pay down any personal debt first. And then if you've got surplus money, I always recommend to people that they have an offset facility, which reduces the loan cost on their rental property. But if they ever need that money later on, they can draw back down on it. It doesn't affect the original loan and then reverts that loan the drawdown facility taken back is fully deductible. It doesn't affect the balance. It doesn't affect your deductibility on the interest that's now charged on that loan again. Yeah. So you, it's fully deductible too, yeah. Look, so many people listening right now would be in that situation where they're playing with their redraw money, using it in and out. So many of them would have no idea that this affects the deductibility. Are the ATO clamping down this? They're actually looking for this? Or is this just something that's come through as, look, this is a change and you're making us aware as an accountant, but you know, a lot of people are still getting away with it. Well, what's happened in the last couple of years is that interest rates have actually come down. And what the ATO do, they actually do a comparative analysis to see how much you've been claiming as interest. Now, again, I've had a couple of clients audited where the ATO said, hang on, uh, two years ago, you claimed $11,000 worth of interest. This year, you're claiming twenty. What's happening? Have they spent that money on that property? And if the answer is no, the only other valid answer is no, they haven't, but they had a, an offset account and now they've used that offset account for themselves and the loan's gone back to its natural level in relation to cost of interest. And that's fine. Mm. Not a problem. Talking about comparing data from years before, the ATO has gotten pretty big on this and that is big data analysis. They're really using this to compare where people are going are becoming outliers, right? Not only against other people across Australia, but also against their own historical data, as you just said with the interest. What are other things they're looking at in that space? Well, I suppose we've described one with the interest when the person, their own loan has changed and their own circumstances have changed. But recently I've had another scrutiny with the tax department where I've got a client who's got a a very high insurance cost on their property. It's $9,000. That's a lot. It is a lot. And this highlights the fact that the ATO are looking at this because the first thing they said was, show us the receipts. Now, this property is in Brisbane. It's subject to cyclone and typhoon and, and their premiums are, are, are $800 a month. Uh, so it's all legitimate, but it just indicates that they're looking at these abnormalities to say, hey, this, this doesn't smell right. Let's just double check it. And uh, look, they're very good about it. They actually tell you we're looking at your property. If you want to change your return, change it. We won't penalize you. Um, Could have been a human error. Uh, absolutely. So they, they, they're really good in that sense because they're given the opportunity to change it and look at it. However, if you don't change it, they will then say, okay, prove your case now. Let's show, show us what you've done. And if you then 
are wrong, well then then you will be charged penalty interest and, and etc. If because uh, you had the opportunity to look at it. Yeah. What are other things that people are claiming in property that are starting to get looked at further? A lot of people they rely on their on their agent's summary statements to to dictate. Uh, what they've spent and it's it's in most cases it's accurate but one category which is normally not right is repairs and the classic example is you might have a, an agent that summarizes different categories of repairs they might have plumbing repairs they might have electrical repairs they might have general repairs but normally what we find as accountants whenever you've got a large cost like a plumbing cost of 1200 bucks we're very skeptical and 90 percent of the time it's they bought a new hot water system that's and pretty much what a replaced hot yeah, water system costs. Yeah, and 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 it can range from twelve hundred to to whatever, or or even an oven for five or six hundred bucks. So anything that's that's over the three hundred threshold, it's normally questionable by us because we just know that the categories are wrong. It normally includes buying an asset in there, right? A piece of equipment. Yeah, that that's exactly right. So that equipment's got to be depreciated over the expected life. But more importantly, your old oven or hot water system will really be replacing. Whatever it hasn't been claimed as a depreciation at that point in time can be written off. So you actually um, have to tidy up your own books and you're entitled to that extra write-off on that asset that's no longer available because uh, it's broken or whatever. We've also got a lot of listeners these days who have got a lot of properties, right? It's not just one or two in the back pocket. They've got four, five, six, seven. And there's a case to be said with the HO these days that these got, they're actually running a bit of a business on the side. It's their side business or even their main business, investing in property, developing property, these things. How's that being affected when the ATO has a look at them these days? The ATO have recently, just recently, come up with a new review in relation to rental properties possibly being claimed as a business. Now, the average person who's got one or two properties won't qualify for this. I mean, I've got one gentleman who's got 69 properties, but the HO's criteria is possibly from six properties onwards. And what they're saying is they look at the extent of the activity. They look at your expertise and what you're doing. They look at the number of properties, which I've said six or more possibly qualify, the time and effort you put into it. And what I mean by that is, even though you might go around and you might cut the lawns there and you might you know maintain them and do things like that, if you've got a property agent that runs that property and maintains it, then you're not going to qualify. So it's basically you taking uh, the bull by the horns here, really looking after properties yourself in, in, in every category and, and you know, managing the bond money and fixing it and getting people to, to, to maintain it or whatever, doing your reviews, doing your leases, doing everything basically. What can uh, you be claiming there? What's the difference? Well, what happens is if you define as a business, the consequence is that there are certain deductions on a rental property which are not allowed. And one classic one a number of years ago, about three years ago, they, they denied travel to and from your property is the deduction. Yes, we know that was a big change that came yeah. in. Yeah, and, and look, I've got clients who they might fly interstate to check their properties because they've had uh, a tenant that's trashed it or, or they've got to do renovations to it. None of that travel, as legitimate as it may be, is deductible in any form or fashion. If it's a business, well then, can claim your travel. Um, if you buy equipment, your your depreciation thresholds can be as high as one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So there are a lot of more concessions that apply to a business uh, compared to investment as rental. So, so if there are any listeners we've got out there who are DIYers in terms of managing their larger property portfolio, guys who are not really going to a property manager, they're managing most of it themselves, there is an opportunity there for them to get a few of those expenses back on the books. Well, it allows them to reclassify from investment to to this business definition, which uh, opens up a, a lot of other doors for them, yeah, most certainly.
Off air, you were flagging timing issues in terms of when you can and can't be claiming for properties, especially when you're moving in between. It's still something I haven't 100% got my head around. Can you explain it a bit further? In relation to timing issues, they, they mainly arise when you've had a rental property, for example, and it's been tenanted, and all of a sudden you want to turn it into a, a non-rental property. And, and what I mean by non-rental, you've still got your own house. You either might, I don't know, you might want your kids to live in it rent-free. Uh, you might want it as a holiday home. Weekend home. Yeah, so basically you still got your house, but this is a house that you can use however, whenever you want, and, and there's no deductions being claimed or no income generated from it. Mm. So what happens there is before you do any other renovations to the property or any other costs, you've got to look at what you're going to do to the property, and if you're going to spend money to bring it back to the same condition that it was when it was rented, and this mainly refers to like um, painting or replacing plants or cleaning carpets um, or sections of the gutters, if the property uh, stops being rented, you've only got the 30th of June of that tax period to spend that money and do those jobs. So example, if you were to stop renting in February, you got from February to June to uh, to fix the property up, to bring it to the same condition that it was prior to it being rented. If you spend more money than that on it, like for example, if you were to rip up the carpet and decide, right, let's tile all this, uh, or let's put a new pergola on there, well, that doesn't qualify. It's simply bringing it back to the same state that it was uh, that you originally gave it uh, as a, as a, to the tenant. As you a got, so essentially, if you're going to start moving it from investment property uh, back to a holiday home or back, something like that, you've gotten to the end of the financial period you're in to be able to spend that money and claim it back. And then after that, it starts becoming non-deductible. It's non-deductible, but with regards to any cost that you incur on a property that's defined as an investment, but it's not deductible because it's not a rental. And again, that really falls down to homes that you're giving to your kids to use or holiday homes. You still got to keep all your expenses in relation to council rates and water rates, insurance, repairs and maintenance, because in 10 years time, if you sell that house and it makes a capital gain, you can use those expenses to reduce your capital gain. So a lot of people think, oh, it's not deductible anymore, and they just biff their receipts. No, those costs just themselves between council rates, water rates, insurance, repairs, could amount to $5,000 a year. Well, over 10 years, there's $50,000 worth of deductions you can apply against your capital gain. Okay, so those are the things we've been focusing on that the ATO is having a look at or changing over time that we really need to understand. And everyone listening should go back to their own accountant, discuss the situations that are specific to them. I want to bring something up that we've spoken about before. We've got an episode on it. It's called the GST Margin Scheme. It's something that you and I have a lot to do with when it comes to minimizing our GST or getting it right when it comes to our GST expense. And there's something that I think a lot of our listeners, some of our clients are still not getting right at the end of the day in terms of understanding it, especially when they're selling their properties that they've just developed. It's one very simple thing. It's regarding the GST annexure and ticking that right box on the GST applicability of when they're selling their new development units. Do you want to explain a little bit about that? And just so we we come into the new financial year with people finishing their developments and they don't get caught out. The commissioner looks at three definitions. The first definition says, are you in business and dealing with land and property? And for the average mum and dad, the answer is not is normally no. But then in this environment, a lot of people are going to people like yourself, acquiring a property or land, subdividing it, putting a house on there, and then selling it as new residential. Now that's deemed by the tax department as to be an enterprise. And what that means in English is you bought it to make a buck out of it straight away. Even if you don't have an ABN? Uh, well, again, what the legislation says is when you sell 
a, a new residential property, you are up for GST. So what the legislation there says, GST is payable on a transaction like that if you're registered for GST or required to be registered for GST. So if you don't register but you're still required, you're still up for this GST. All right, so that's, that's the first limb that you think, okay, I'm caught, I'm going to do this, GST is going to apply. The big issue though arises in that GST normally represents one eleventh of the total sales value of the property. So if you sell something for $660,000, one eleventh is $60,000 in GST that you owe the tax department. However, the tax department have got one concession. So what happens there is when you sign your offer and acceptance, on the front page there's a box and it says, does GST apply to this transaction? And the answer is yes. So you tick the box and then underneath it directs you to say, okay, if you tick this box, you've got to fill in the GST annexure document. Now what that says, it asks a few more questions and in essence it then asks, are you adopting the margin scheme? Now what the margin scheme basically means is that you're going to pay less GST. Now there are certain qualifications for you to be able to tick that box. You couldn't have claimed the GST when you first bought it and other concessions. But if you meet those concessions, you then have to fill out that box. If you don't fill that box, the very next box basically says, well, does GST fully apply? And again, if you don't fill that box out, by default, by not filling out box 6A in this document, 6B takes precedence and automatically you're up for full GST, even though you may be entitled to claim the margin scheme. So what this is, it's an election to say, hey, commissioner, I elect to pay less because I qualify for this concession. If you get this wrong, we're talking of tens of thousands of dollars in extra GST that's paid that you will lose. That's how important this is. It's so easy to get this wrong. And if you're not sure and you just decide not to tick this box, then the interpretation is that you are not going with the GST margin scheme. You can't go back on it later on. You can't change it later and you'll be hit with a full GST impact and lose the ability to claim a lot of that back. Oh, absolutely. Even if you don't take the front box for GST, again, if you're subject to GST and you should have been registered, then the ATO are entitled to claim the full GST on the total value. So it's a default thing. You don't do it right, you've done it wrong. Exactly right. Now, look, we've done a full episode on this. It was probably 40 or 50 episodes before now. So everyone listening, go back. It's called the GST Margin Scheme. And Carlo has been great enough to share his time on that for further details. Before we go, Carlo, let's go through a, a few of the more general tax tips you've got for this financial year, things that everyone would probably have uh, hitting them, whether they've got property or not. Uh, let's you know, put a couple of minutes into that as well. Well, the first tip I've got still relates to property. A key component is when a person buys an asset, if that asset can be depreciated, and if the asset is less than $300 per item, you're actually entitled to claim a full deduction for it. However, if that item, you've got to spend extra money because it's not a full set, then you've got to look at the total cost that you spent on it. As an example, if you buy a table, and the table costs you 280 bucks, and then you buy four chairs at $10 each, well, then that whole set now, which is a set because you need a table and chairs, is now 320. It exceeds 300. You have to now depreciate it over the expected life. Ridiculous. Yeah, well, there is another little concession that applies. If there's more than one owner, then the commission does say, okay, there's two of you, so therefore the 320, two of you is 160, is less than 300, you can still claim it outright. But if there's only one of you, then you miss out on that uh, deductibility. Which ATO assessor is getting that far into your personal life? Uh, well, it's pretty obvious because what happens is when you disclose the item on your tax return, you actually got to say how many people own the property. So they have got that information on hand when you lodge your return. So mm -hmm. it, it's all there if they were to 
drill into it and have a look at it. So if you get looked at, they, they can easily find that. One other item which is important with property, which a lot of people maybe probably aren't aware of, is again, two years ago, they brought in these new rules about if you purchase a secondhand property, you can't claim the depreciation on that on those assets. Well, it actually goes one step further. And I can give an example where if you bought a property five years ago, which was brand new because you built it or you bought it brand new from, from a developer, um, you can then claim the depreciation on your carps and curtains and all that, all those other bits and pieces and ovens and stoves, etc. But then if for some reason you decide to make it a non-rental, again, you might want to use it for yourself, you might just want to take it off the market because your kids want to live in it for a while, and then the kids then get a job and get a life and then and you can kick them out. Yeah. And um, it then you say, oh, let's rent it again, fine. But then the property is then deemed to be second-hand, and because it's second-hand, those assets that you were previously entitled to claim as a depreciation deduction no longer qualify. That but seems crazy to me because uh, it hasn't actually transacted to a different person. How can it be deemed secondhand? It's just the way it goes. Just like, for example, if you were to have your own house and then make it a rental property, you've always owned that house, but when it becomes a rental, at that point in time, those things are secondhand. Mm. So log books and stuff, well, the ATO have already told us that they're looking at a number of different categories for individual general stuff. And on, on the top of the list are motor vehicles, because motor vehicles can be claimed either as a um, direct cost, which means that you claim a percentage based on your log book, or you can claim up to 5,000 kilometers at a set rate. Now, I can tell you categorically, we were told about this um, uh, in, the, in the 2020 tax returns, and we physically did have some clients get looked at, and they did do exactly what they were saying. They were going to pursue it. I had a, a receptionist who had claimed over 5,000 kilometres, but she also worked for her dad, and she picked up numerous parts, and she did a lot of running around, and she had a proper logbook, so she had to provide that. She had to provide a letter from her dad, who was the employer, confirming that she's required to do this running around. It all got clean, but it just indicates that what they're saying is what they're doing. They're looking at these things. And with the actual cost one, you might think a logbook is a logbook, but it's not because the commissioner says, right, you keep it for 12 weeks, which is supposed to represent your normal business use. What people don't understand is that that 12 weeks, if you've been working for the 12 weeks, and then you take four weeks annual leave, and then you take your car up north because you're going to go to uh, to Exmouth or something, that changes your percentage of business use. And you're supposed to reflect that percentage in your logbook as an adjustment down. So no one should be able to claim 100% of the year these days? Well, the only way you can claim 100%, and look, and that's difficult, but the only way you can is during a holiday period, you've got another car, mm. and your car is parked. And obviously, that's representative of the fact that you don't have any fuel costs or you don't have any accidents, because if you do, well, then you're going to then contradict yourself that the car was not, uh, not, was not used at all. But look, a lot of people do have a second or third car, and they do park them. It's just a matter of uh, understanding that legislation and what they're looking at. Just demonstrates how far into our lives the ATO is getting these days, not just on property, but also on our uh, more personal expenses that we're claiming. The ATO, whenever it gives a concession, it normally goes the ATO's way. I mean, for example, with this COVID, they've extended this 80 cents per hour for home office expenses. But what a lot of taxpayers aren't completely aware of is that when you apply the 80 cents per hour, it virtually voids you the ability to claim any other home office related costs like uh, internet, stationery, um, the chair that you're sitting on, uh, depreciation on your desk, uh, your, your, your phone, all these things are virtually included in this 80 cents per hour notional calculation. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, if you want to claim stuff like mobile phones and you want to claim internet, it's extremely onerous. You're supposed to keep a four-week register, proving your percentage, and you might think, oh yeah, that's all right. 
it's okay for phones, but when you get home and you've got your internet, and I know with my place, I've got, uh, I've got children and that, and, and you walk in the house and everybody's phone hooks onto the internet. And then they've they got their gaming they do at night, and then you've got Foxtel. It's impossible, Carl. Oh, look, it's very, very, very onerous. But if you don't do that, you then are subject to, uh, if you do the 80 cents, nothing. If you don't do the 80 cents, 50 bucks in, in internet for the year. That's what they allow you. It shows we need to have the right accountant backing us in because at some point in time, if we are doing the wrong thing or skirting along the edges, we will get caught and then they'll look back at us with a good five-year audit, I'm sure. Thank you so much for your time. Carlo Bordi of Bordi and Associates, I really appreciate it. We'll have you in after the tax time to talk some more proactive things next time. (laughs) Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!